in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, I have uh, met some important people. I've done some pretty significant interviews. Uh, Everybody from uh, presidents to uh, Johnny Brennan of the Jerky Boys, one of my favorites, by the way. But I tell you what, my conversation with President Trump earlier this week, uh, I've never gotten this kind of reaction. I never have gotten this kind of reaction to almost anything I've ever done on television. Maybe since I went into Baghdad with American troops in 2003, first broadcast journalist to uh, go downtown Baghdad during that invasion. Um, I don't know what it is about this conversation, but uh, people, I've just, the reaction has been tremendous. People found the conversation fascinating. It's not... I mean, we broke a little bit of news. I mean, every time Donald Trump speaks, quite frankly, it's news. It's it's news. That's how it is. He's uh, just a walking news machine. And uh, anyway, as I mentioned yesterday, so appreciative, uh, so grateful, the president with his time and the staff and setting that all up. I was at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, but the reaction since and a couple of things that I think people are responding to. I'm like, what is the big deal? I mean, really, what? I mean, I don't know. It was just regular old Greg. I, I, but they, what people say is they sensed, and I think uh, some of you called in yesterday and said there was a, seemed to be a bit of a mutual respect. And how uh, how cool is that? At the, the president of the United States, huh? I mean, also, you may have noticed, I didn't have a stack of papers on my lap, all right? I didn't have a great big notebook. I didn't have anything like it. Just, I just decided, you know what? It's me and him, two chairs. And the other thing is uh, some... Some interviewers, you see this a lot, actually, they they lean back in the chair like somehow they're interviewing a candidate for a job like that. And it's their decision. It's the former president of the United States. He's probably going to be the next president of the United States. Sit up. okay? and you notice how he sits. He's always kind of leaning in, leaning into the uh, to the interviewer. So that went great. I'm very, very pleased. And uh one one little thing. Well, oh, I got him on the Tucker stuff, and that was obviously it's still big news. All right, I like Tucker. All right, Tucker's important, but they're acting like, <laughs> I mean, he was the he wasn't the leader of the country, and people there are people out there who hated him. I didn't agree with them. I actually like Tucker, uh, but there were people, and actually, this should not have happened. And I I did a whole thing on this last night. I think the government took out Tucker. The government was not comfortable with him in that job, and the government leaned on News Corp to remove him. That's what happened. The government made this happen. And if you think I'm exaggerating, I mean, can you believe it that the majority leader of the U.S. Senate, Chuck Schumer, goes and yells his head off about a cable TV host? You, Cable TV host. You can say whatever the hell you want in America. For the time being, I guess not, actually. I guess not. We're always censoring ourselves. So many people are going along with it, this woke crap. Are you? Do you work at a company where you have to put your uh, pronouns, your preferred pronouns, at the end of the email? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that the, that the woke mob likes, and too many powerful people who know better are going along with it. But even if you're Tucker Carlson, with all those uh, listeners and viewers and uh, status in 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 the country, because the thing about Tucker is he's not only MAGA likes him, um, but also the elites actually have a certain respect for him. But 
Was time up for Tucker Carlson? I guess he could not survive this. Chuck Schumer, who has a lot better things to do. All right, majority leader of the U.S. Senate. How long have we been sending this bum back to the Senate? 1998, career, career politicians. He got into politics, oh, by the way, when he was 25 years old. He runs for the United, uh, not the United States, what do they run for? State Assembly. He's been in the State Assembly since the 1970s, for crying out loud, huh? I mean, do something, huh? How about building something? This is the opposite of Donald Trump. And here he is, coming down on Tucker, on the floor of the United States Senate last month. You think if you had a job and a U.S. senator was talking about you like this, could you survive? Cut 33. Last night, millions of Americans tuned in to one of the most shameful hours we have ever seen on cable television. With contempt for the facts, disregard of the risks, and knowing full well he was lying, lying to his audience, Fox News host Tucker Carlson ran a lengthy segment last night arguing the January 6th Capitol attack was not a violent insurrection. Well, it wasn't an insurrection. There was violence, but there were, well, I think it was an inside job. I played it again last night, that little cop waving people, waving throngs on into the Capitol. The cops just standing there as people walked on by. The three police officers walking away so Ashley Babbitt could be shot. And then we saw, thanks to Tucker and Kevin McCarthy, footage of the Horns guy being escorted around. Hey, I'm sorry. These facts exist. This is out there. And what is Chuck's response? Not to address the facts, not to address the new this is a classic case. He's attacking the messenger, not the message. Cut 34. By diving deep into the waters Stop. of conspiracy. Stop. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is last month when Tucker played the footage that Kevin McCarthy gave him, a little bit of the 40,000 hours that exist. Hey, by the way, where are the 40,000 hours? I'd like to have access to that. I, <laughs> But nope, it was just for Tucker. Okay. I mean, that's public information. So the next day, this is in March, again, last month, the majority leader calling for the basically the head of Tucker Carlson. All right, let's uh, kick that off again. Cut 34. By diving deep into the waters of conspiracy and cherry picking from thousands of hours of security footage, Mr. Carlson told the bold-faced lie that the Capitol attack, which we all saw with our own eyes, was somehow not an attack at all. What a total thug this guy is. A thug. Right. He can just talk like you want you. You want to hear a call to violence from that? I'm going to inter. I'm going to we're going to take a departure from this for a moment here. That's what he's like on the floor of the U.S. Senate. And he's totally inappropriate, wildly so. But you take him out of the U.S. Senate, then he doesn't have to worry about anything. He'll just he'll call for he'll call for violence. And he did. He did. He should have been arrested for this. Go ahead. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you You if you go forward with these awful decisions. You criminal thug. He's a criminal thug talking like that. Can you believe it? He never apologized, never had to. Nope, did not apologize. I think that's actually a a federal crime that he committed right there, right then in there. Uh, Let's see. So back inside, back indoors where decorum rules, he's still calling for the head of a private citizen 
engaged in constitutionally protected free speech. And oh, by the way, it was great television. Cut 35. Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, tell Carlson not to run a second segment of lies. You know it's a lie. You've admitted it's a lie. Wow, huh? You know, I know this is that's intimidating talk for corporate leaders. I know firsthand that Fox is terrified of elected leaders like Chuck Schumer. What could they do to us? What I guess they could. An unscrupulous politician could do a lot of things, right? Uh, then again, very rich people like, uh, well, people who run multinational corporations. You know, it's a it's a transactional thing. We give you money. You do what we want. Then I ask for something from you. So um, maybe that's what's going on here. And Chuck, uh, Chuck was saying, okay, I'm calling in all my favors at this point. Uh, let's try the next one. Why would a why would a United States senator care what Tucker Carlson is texting with some guy named Justin? What that's about? Cut thirty six. Mr. Carlson's own producer texted him that quote. I don't think there is evidence of voter fraud that swung the election. They know. They know full well they've been lying. Hey, uh, his producer, a guy I used to know, oh, by the way, whose name is Justin, Justin Wells. Um, that's his opinion. And you know what? He's allowed to share it with his boss. And that opinion should not be repeated on the floor of the United States Senate. That was a private text message between two people. I think all kinds of things, right? Everybody does. It's contradictory. You know what I mean? You, you Sometimes you criticize people you love. You, you, you love, hate. All It's all in there. It's all in our phones. But now it's, well, if you come out against the regime or you raise troubling questions about January 6th, the dire threat to democracy that that day represented, and everybody has to curtail their speech so we don't have another one, right? This total scam. Listen to these people. Listen to these people talk about private communications between private individuals, and somehow it's on the news. Private individuals. I mean, Tucker Carlson does not hold office, all right? He is a private citizen. He's not paid by taxpayer dollars. He's not paid, right? Cut 37. Listen to this. Where do they get off? According to court documents, host Tucker Carlson texted a producer on January 4th, 2021, just two days before the Capitol attack. We got these texts. These are from Tucker Carlson to members of his staff. Tucker Carlson, the same night, made those same lies. And yet we see in these text messages the truth. What, what the hell are they seeing my text messages? All right. I mean, like there's everybody's text message. And they did not. We did not see thousands upon thousands of text messages. We saw selectively s- selected ones. Right. We saw selected messages. And I don't want to see all of his messages. That's his business. But you get sued. They have a process called discovery, discovery. And we can they can ask for a cell phone. You know what I told you? I said Dershowitz, Alan Dershowitz, greatest lawyer who ever lived, said if the founding fathers knew anything about the cell phone, they would unquestionably rule. They put it into the Constitution. That's an unreasonable search and seizure. By definition, it's unreasonable. There are, what is it, the Fourth Amendment? We have rules. We have laws. We have a Constitution that prevents unreasonable search and seizure. There's reasonable search and there's unreasonable search. Going through somebody's cell phone? To see what the hell you were saying about the election? You know, it's one thing if you're going in there to see evidence of a crime, right? Evidence, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe I killed that person. What am I going to do now? You know, stuff like that. (laughs) That's okay. And if you can establish probable cause in front of a judge, 
But what some guy named Justin was texting some guy named Tucker, their thoughts about the election, stay the hell out of it. We're allowed to have thoughts. I'm allowed still to say the election was not won by Joe Biden. That is my strong sense. It is my strong intuition. I told the New York Times uh, in 2020, they're like, where do you get off saying that? I said, look, that's my strong sense. I'm looking at the thing. I don't, you know, it's okay. And sometimes you're, you're, you know, the gut, your gut instinct, but all the technicians, everybody in the, no, they tell us it's all right. It's all perfect. I don't think so. And we're still free to, well, are we still free? Maybe not. Cut 38. You all, Americans of all types and stripes and corners of this country, Democrats, Republicans, independents, need to take a stand and call out Mr. Carlson's conduct for what it is, a dangerous, unforgivable attempt to destabilize our democracy and rewrite the history of the worst attack on our Constitution since the Civil War. An episode of the Tucker Carlson show was a dangerous and unforgivable attempt to destroy our democracy. I mean, this guy's so over the top. I mean, he should have been arrested right there for perjury, right? I mean, I guess you can say anything. Dangerous and unforgivable. Oh, by the way, there ain't anything that you can even think of that's unforgivable. In the eyes of the Lord. All right. Actually, I think if you look at the Bible, there might be one. But talking about the election is not unforgivable. All right. Not not in a man's law or God's. Uh, Let me try this one. Cut 39. I condemn Mr. Carlson (gasps) for siding with the enemies of democracy. I strongly condemn Speaker McCarthy's actions and fiercely oppose his decision to share this footage with Carlson. I urge Fox News to order Carlson to cease propagating the big lie on his network and to level with their viewers about the truth, the truth behind the efforts to mislead the public. Conduct like theirs is just asking for another January 6th. Yep, another January 6th. That's what they keep pointing to, right? You say anything, some maniac is going to respond, is going to try to break a window at the Capitol because we're having an adult conversation about the world, about elections, about whatever, about gender. But if we say the wrong thing, it's going to start a riot. That's that that's that BS little trap they have now set. And too many people are falling for it. They are actually modifying their speech. They're modifying their activity. They're going along with it. Because we don't want to have another January 6th. Hey, let, what about all that crap that happened for two years, huh? Black Lives Matter, summer, year, right? That was all beautiful. That was all well. Hey, I bet, I bet, do we have it? I'm going to find it. During the commercial break, let me find footage of that maniac, Chuck Schumer, the thug, walking around in a Black Lives Matter protest. How long do you think? I have a feeling it's not going to be hard. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. 
Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Well, it took me uh, all of four seconds to find uh, Chuck Schumer yelling and screaming his head off about Black Lives Matter in the middle of the street, closed down to traffic. Why did they close it down to traffic? Did they have a permit to close it down to traffic, or do they think their message was so important that you just interrupt everybody else's life? Yeah, I, that's what I think happened. That's what all of these silly, peaceful protests actually were, interrupting uh, our lives uh, good people who just wanted to work, right? That's basically everybody except the lunatics who are in the street. Yeah, I think that that is not peaceful. It's not peaceful to shut down 3rd Avenue or 9th Avenue, where I used to live, and uh, everybody walking against traffic, shutting it down. That was a really, really scary thing. It was scary. And, um, hey, no, but it was fun, and I guess it was advantageous politically for people like Chuck. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. So let me t- you give it. The scene is this. Oh, wait. What the hell does 32 BJ have to do with it? It's a union. The big union, the money, Black Lives Matter coming together, and Chuck Schumer standing there like a schmuck. He's standing right next to this freak. Can't wait to give his big speech. All right, enough. And then, and then, it's uh, Chuck's moment of truth, and they bring him up, and he's got his silly bullhorn standing right in the middle of the street. Right? Is that what happens? I think they introduce him here. Go ahead. So we're going to hear from a man who's been fighting for working families in this country since he's been in office. Oh, yeah. Someone who's been on the front line front for line. essential workers as our senator, Chuck Schumer. Yeah. Boo! Boo, you suck. Excuse we me. need his support more than ever. Oh, yeah, he's right. been giving it. He's been very integral in making sure that this bill is passed in the House, and now he's fighting just, with the Republican Senate to make sure that they do what's right for essential workers in this country. Wow. You think that Black Lives Matter might have leaned left in their ideology, that it was about a lot more than black lives? You better believe it. Chuck comes up to give another divisive, nasty speech, yelling and screaming. This was actually outside of a Trump building. They shut down traffic so he could yell and scream about Trump. I'll have that when we come back. But it didn't take long to find him at a at the kind of protest that might just knock our democracy off its axis. One that he liked. I'll be back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So now I'd like to introduce to you which should up, but everyone should know him. A great champion in this country, Senator Chuck Schumer. Boo. All right, I already went through Thank this. Thank you, Kyle. It's uh, great to be here. Stop, stop. All right, I told you. you. I just wanted to prove that he was there, and then he speaks. He's the worst public speaker in the world. Actually, he's got that bullhorn, but he has a speech in his hand. That's like with regular paper. It's like he's like reading from a kid's book report. It's like 10 pages long. It's stapled at the top. 
And every time he's every time he's got to turn the page, he's got to stop speaking, put the bullhorn down, wet his fingers to turn the page. And um, that's just it's kind of wild. All right. So he was calling for Tucker's ouster. And it made me think about, look, I don't know. It's a little bit overblown, but it's still an important story. Tucker Carlson. All right. And uh, he's an important guy. He's bigger than that silly uh, Fox News. He's bigger than that Fox News. So he was on this show, this radio show, uh, a while back, and he was promoting his new book, uh, then new book. It was called uh, A Long Slide. This, I think, is actually in 2021. We had a beautiful conversation, and a lot of the issues that we talked about still apply today. And uh, I'm going to play you that interview right now. This is Greg Kelly and Tucker Carlson speaking on WABC Radio in 2021. Go! So uh, Tucker Carlson is probably one of the most important Americans alive right now. No exaggeration. Of course, his show on cable uh, is a massive hit. It's been known to actually influence presidents big time. Uh, Tucker himself has been considered a potential future president of the United States. We'll see what happens. But his new book is The Long Slide, 30 Years in American Journalism. Uh, Tucker Carlson, thanks for being with us. How you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm sorry that you gave me such a nice intro because this is going to sound like log rolling, but (laughs) your Twitter feed is the single greatest thing on the Internet, and I don't know how many of your listeners read it, and I hate the Internet, and I particularly hate Twitter. I'm not on it. I don't – you know, I've never posted anything. I just think the whole thing is disgusting except your Twitter feed. Well, (laughs) (laughs) thank you. brilliant, and it just shows you that creativity in America is – it's like over everyone's too afraid to be funny, creative, interesting, artistic. I mean, it's just it really shines. If if your readers haven't read it, I mean, every morning I wake up and my producers have sent me one or four tweets. <laughs> the subway one this morning was like amazing. Anyway, <laughs> At Greg Kelly USA, if you want to see what Tucker's talking Tucker, but here's why I'm doing it, because you know what? I, you're right. Everybody's uptight. Everybody's afraid of getting canceled. Everybody's afraid of being labeled something that they're not. It's one of the things that I love about you and your show. You are boldly speaking the truth, and there's a real thirst. There's a real hunger for authenticity and fearless authenticity, and I think that's what you bring. Well, at a certain point, it's like, I mean, I'm 52, you know, and my my four kids are gone. And like, what's the point? I mean, once you pay your credit cards off, it's not like making a ton of money is going to make you like super happy or anything. So you should, I mean, what's the point of having a platform if you have to lie all the time and degrade yourself and lose your dignity as a man in order to read someone else's stupid slogans or talking points like Ugh, what a dead end. Why do that? Tucker, it can be tough for you. I mean, and I'm actually very curious how you have gotten accustomed to it, or is there ever getting any accustomed to it? I saw on Twitter, by the way, people were burning your image in front of Fox News, a picture, and the American flag, by the way, burning your picture and stomping on you. You know, you're a big boogeyman for the far left. Do you ever get used to that? It doesn't even register, honestly. I don't even care. When they started calling me a white supremacist, a few years ago, I was really shocked by it because of all of my sins. And I'm, I'm definitely a flawed person with crappy attitudes about a lot of things, but I'm definitely not a white supremacist, whatever that is. I mean, I'm I'm totally opposed to that. So I was like, why are they calling me that? That's like, that's just not true. And I realized that they don't think it's true either. They don't care. It's just a means of control. If they can intimidate you into being quiet, they will. And I'm so at that point, I just lost all interest in what they say. Like, why would I care what they say? I care what my wife says, my kids think, my friends, 
our producers, my dogs, you know, people <laughs> I love. I, you know, people I respect. I pay very close attention to their opinions, but like some douche on Twitter or Eric Swalwell or what? It's like it's just totally irrelevant to me. It just doesn't mean anything. It's dogs barking. In fact, it's less significant than dogs. <laughs> well, listen, you're in the middle of it all, and maybe you can uh, figure out this mystery for me. Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Listen, there are so many stories here. Joe Biden appears to be a corrupt politician, or there's a hell of a lot of evidence to suggest as much. And, and Hunter and his antics and what he may or may not have been up to. And we have evidence of that. Yet the mainstream press, uh, they used to be hungry for stories, no matter what the party. They're avoiding this. They're treating it with kid gloves if they're treating it at all. Why is that happening? Isn't the thirst for a scoop? Isn't that paramount? What happened to that? The guy's laptop shows up with hundreds of pictures of his Johnson, including stacked with M&Ms. And, like, that's not a great story. Just on a prurient level, and why is the Daily Mail and the New York Post, you know, why are they the only people covering this stuff? I mean, I, it's, it's shocking to me, and I think it's, the answer is really obvious. They're just all in. The business model has changed. Subscriptions are, you know, the basis of, of, of the revenue. So back when you were running a newspaper that relied on ads from the local department store, you had to appeal to a broad swath of the public. But now that the New York Times and the Washington Post are subscription based, you know, you're only talking to the people who are, you know, at the fringes of the party. And so there's just no they can't tell their audience what's actually happening. And then you have to keep up. Speaking of the big lie, the big lie is that Joe Biden's confident. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. You know, I'm not attacking the guy. I've known Joe Biden for 30 years. I'm, I, I've always kind of liked him. He's a warm person and everything. But he was dumb when he was in the Senate. Everyone knew that. Ask anybody who lives in D.C. He was dumb. He was like the dumbest senator. One of the nicest senators, but definitely an idiot. Yeah. And then age has made him dumber. And we live in this incredibly complicated moment where you need wisdom and some intellectual acuity. And the guy is just like the last person who can navigate this moment in American history. And so they have to lie about everything, because if if they admit that obvious thing, then the whole edifice of lies comes tumbling down. I mean, so they're just like desperate to keep you from acknowledging obvious truths about things. I guess the the thing that I'm still stumped, because I understand subscriptions and, and the world is narrow focusing or narrow casting, whatever it's called. But you get a reporter, a, an aggressive young reporter is not supposed to care about the business side of things. They're supposed to care about the scoop. I had a reporter in here, very prestigious publication. Joe Biden took that terrible tumble down the steps, and she pretended almost that it didn't happen. I couldn't understand, yeah. like, why is there that reluctance? It has trickled down. The business concerns has trickled down throughout the ranks, I guess. Well, I think I, I'm not sure that it's like the publisher of The Washington Post calling the Metro desk and saying this is our position on something. I think social media act as a leash that keep – all journalists in line, like they spend all day reading this crap and they're basically controlled by the mob because they, they can't handle, they're not strong enough to handle attacks from some anonymous person on Twitter. And so they, they kind of know what the boundaries are. If I say this, if I write this story, I'm going to be attacked online. And again, they're just not, they're not tough enough as people to tell the truth in the face of demands that they lie. So they lie and they do, but they degrade themselves. Like, I know report, like, I know real reporters. I mean, I've done this for all my life, 30 years. And I, you know, just as you have, and you know these people, and you're like, really? I can't believe you're going along with this. 
you, you can change your sex by wishing it so? Like <laughs> Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz? Like, what? Do you really believe that? Like, you're an adult with a mortgage and kids. Why are you saying that? But they do. It's so wild. So the book, uh, The Long Slide, 30 Years in American Journalism. Uh, the, why The Long Slide? Is it is it is a commentary on where, where we've come? Have we slid backwards? Journalism, I feel, has. I know it's a compilation of some of your greatest articles and pieces over the years, but why why is it called The Long Slide? Well, I mean, part of it was aimed at the publisher, Simon & Schuster. I've written, you know, I wrote my last book for Simon & Schuster. I know a lot of the people there, and Simon & Schuster is, you know, one of the biggest publishers in the world, but it was also, for generations, over 100 years, a defender of the Bill of Rights, of the freedom to publish what you want, to say what you want, to think what you want, to engage with anyone you want. You know, it was a defender of an open society, a free society, which we had. And Simon & Schuster has become, like Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola and all the rest of these big corporations, a, a censor, you know, a, a, a leader in the fight to make you shut up. They've canceled people's books for having the wrong opinions, opinions that challenge the Democratic Party. And I just was very offended by that. And so I wrote about it in the book. But for me, having been around this all my life and going back to my old stories, it was just so obvious how much had changed in this country. And it made me sad. But it Hopeful, like we lived in a free country not that long ago, so we know what it looks like. Let's get it back. But everything's good with you and the publisher, because I'm looking at Threshold, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster, went ahead and published the book. So they're not censoring you. Well, they, I think they didn't feel they had a choice. I mean, if you cancel a book by a guy who's writing about how you've canceled other people's <laughs> books, that's a PR disaster. Yeah. I mean, I think they truly hate me with you know, the brilliance of a thousand suns, but I don't think there's much they can do about it. So I've always wanted to ask you this, and if you don't mind, I look, you've had some of the top jobs in journalism. Now you're at the very, very top. Um, but there was a time I noticed that you were the Fox and Friends weekend anchor. And you were, <laughs> yeah, like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> it, it wasn't that long ago. It was like three or four years ago, right? Yeah. And, and the thing about it was this. Uh, You've had primetime shows, and now you have a primetime show. That, and I would just walk by, and I'd see you, and I realized this guy, Tucker, has been on a much bigger stage. And I just I was like, I knew you could do that job with one hand tied behind your back. My question is this. As you know, uh, I believe you're a Christian. Sometimes God, uh, well, he works in mysterious ways, and sometimes he gets us ready for things that are about to come. Was that a period of preparation for you? Um, that role, that time, was it useful or, and forgive me if I've gone totally off the deep end here, but that was kind of freaking me out that you're asking. I don't know how you would know that, but the answer is yes. And I've literally no, I've, I've only talked to my wife about this. so I don't really know how you would ask me that question, but, but you're right. And, um, yeah. And I, and I wouldn't say Christian, I'm an Episcopalian. (laughs) I don't know if that qualifies anyway. No, I'm just kidding. I am a, I am a Christian. I've left the Episcopal church. I'm a pretty bad Christian, but I believe in God, and I think you see his hand in your own life and in the history of in history. And for sure, I mean, I had been a primetime host on a couple other channels. I failed. I got fired um, for low ratings. It was pretty much my fault. And Roger Ailes hired me, and I worked in the vineyard for, you know, a number of years. The morning shows are really hard, as you know better than anybody, just because of the time, the schedule, and, you know, there was – a fair amount of suffering, but I felt, first of all, I deserved it. I got famous really young. I made decent money really young, mostly by accident. I squandered the opportunity. I suffered. So, you know, I, I had to, I had to do the work at a certain point and I did. And I think it made me a better 
a better person, a much better person, much more humble person anyway. Getting successful young is really bad for you. It makes you into a total tool, an entitled bad person. You know, that happened to me. Ah. Well, uh, you got through that very well. I wasn't talking to your wife. I didn't talk to anybody about that question. It's just something that I observed. Wow, what an insightful question! That kind of that kind of <laughs> that came out of nowhere. I took me by surprise. No. But yes, you're absolutely right. That's how I that's how I felt about it. And and I realized. I mean, the deep insight. I haven't had a ton of deep insights because I'm not a super deep person. But one I did have was the failures in your life are usually kind of your fault, and you don't want to admit that. Because it's painful, but until you do admit it, there's no moving past them. And I, I was sort of forced to admit that I had failed because I was lazy and entitled. That's true. Well, and, um, and then I got over it once I admitted it. And, uh, well, God has done amazing things in your life. Hey, let me just ask you this. Where are we right now? It's 2021. What's the month again? It's August. Uh, Donald Trump coming back. Uh, here's my sense. I think he wants to. I think he, uh, he could. I feel like it'll be license for the Democrats and a lot of Republicans to screw it up for him all over again. What do you think is going to happen? Man, I don't know. And it's funny. I just had this conversation at dinner last night. I haven't talked to him about it. Um, my, you know, my sense is I, I don't know is the is the bottom line. Um, I think we're going to be living in a very different country a year from now. We're living in a different country from the one we woke up to on New Year's Day of 2021. So, you know, it's very hard to know. I mean, I can't even imagine planning, you know, what I'm doing for Thanksgiving just because things are so volatile and moving so fast that. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm taking a pass on the question because I, I sincerely don't know the answer. But I, the last thing I'll say, censoring a sitting president of the United States is one of those precedents that kind of arrived and we didn't spend a lot of time talking or thinking about it. We're going to look back and think, wow, that was really a sea change in American history. Like you can't you can't do that yeah. without hurting everybody else. Well, you're helping a lot of people right now. You're helping our country, in my opinion. Tucker Carlson, great to have you. Tucker Carlson, the new book is called The Long Slide, 30 Years in American Journalism, available wherever books are still sold. And Tucker Carlson, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Greg. I, I appreciate it. You bet, buddy. And it's time. I think Artemis, take a quick break. I'm going to get. All right. All right. So, hey, that's the interview. It's uh, what'd you think? Huh? I actually, gosh, I really value that conversation. I enjoyed it very much. It was just uh, and I always wanted to. And you heard I did. I asked him that question. I asked him, like, what was going on? Because your career had been soaring and then you were definitely kind of on the B team at Fox News for a while. But I noticed that he was taking it in stride and he was playing his part. and He was doing his thing. And it's amazing because God knows what's going to happen, right? He's in control of everything. And he can put you up, put you on the bench, if you will, for a season because he knows what's around the corner and uh, allowing things to happen in our lives to make us ready for who knows what the hell else is going to come down. All right. So if you look back, just about every setback for a lot of us has actually been a setup for something amazing. Now you got to honor God. It's not just uh, sit back and watch the blessings. You got to do your part. And I think Tucker even said that you got to do the work. You got to do the work. Anyway, what's next for Tucker? Who the hell knows? Uh, it's going to be great, though. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, you know, every decade has a look every decade, right? The 70s, the 80s, the 50s, the 60s. You know, you can kind of tell by looking at a movie or whatever. Or If you want to show pictures that evoke a certain decade, it's very easy to do. 
90s, I guess you can do that as well. It gets a little bit tougher after to after 9/11, quite frankly, right? What does a what does what does 2010 to 2020 look like? And what do we even call that decade? What do we call it? The teens? What what do we call? We don't call it. Nobody calls it the teens. They call it four years ago, <laughs> right? What what is that? What what is it going to look like? When are they going to make a show about the teens? <laughs> it doesn't sound right. Uh, all right. Hey, Sandra is standing by. Hi, Sandra. How are you? Good afternoon, Greg. I, I want to tell you, I really liked your show last night. I appreciated the part where you showed about DeSantis, how he was plummeting in the polls and how Trump endorsed him and then he prevailed. Mm. And a good relationship was sustained after that until he was reelected. Then things started to go south, according to DeSantis, saying this was a nightmare for Donald Trump. What I want to share with you I was reading about Piers Morgan and the interview he had with DeSantis. Your style is so fair. I think Piers Morgan is like an instigator. He actually got him to say, oh, I'm nothing like Trump, you know, regarding like Stormy Daniels stuff. Oh, about power. He said like um, he should be like George Washington, give up the sword for the sake of the Republic and put your own interests aside. Uh, all right. So Pier- Piers was a jerk. Yeah. Piers is always, he, he's yeah. a talented guy, but he can be very jerky. Yeah. How's yeah. everything else? Hey, that, I, the show was on fire last night. Let's face it. It had a certain energy. I liked it. I liked it. I like all my shows, but last night's show was, was special. 10 o'clock, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. And the doctor is good. The doctor's good. You know what I wanted to say? Oh. Len Goodman, no one ever talks about him, how he passed away. I don't even know who that is. I'm sorry. He was he was the judge on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, he died at 78. I did see that. Yes. I saw he yes. was set, but I don't remember him. I remember, uh, where the hell do I remember? I never really watched that show. Um, I remember the I like Australian, it. I remember the English dancer. Whatever his name was, kind of blondish hair. He looked like Barry Manilow. That's the only. That's the yeah. only. I, I don't remember this guy. I guess I vaguely remember him sitting there. Well, it's too bad he's gone. There's nothing we can do about it. Rest in peace. All right, nice I, guy, I'm sure, I, but I have I nothing to say. Anyway, Sandra, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, reality TV shows judges on. Re- is, that, is that still? Is that show still on TV? By the way. Yes, of course. Of yes. course. I mean, look, we're watching a million different things on. <laughs> You know, oh, I heard. Thank you. Uh, somebody told me, actually, I think I saw it on Instagram of all places, that if you take 18 minutes a day, 18 minutes every day to learn something or to learn some skill in a year, you will be better than 98% of the world at whatever skill it is you're trying to learn. Because 18 minutes a day, which sounds like just about nothing, 18 minutes, right? I mean, how much time do we waste watching these silly reality shows or what else? 18, 18 minutes every day for a year. You know how many hours that is? 109 and a half hours. 109 hours. That's serious time. It's um, it's a couple of hours a month. You can get very, very good at something. What the hell? 18 minutes? What do we want to learn? I actually want to learn how to jump rope and maybe play the piano. And uh, probably other things I should be doing, but 18 minutes a day. It's kind of interesting, right? I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, Joe Biden is having a uh, press conference with uh, the South Korean president. He declares for president re-election yesterday. 
How about some questions from the media, right? A big event with people? No. It's one of these scripted, very tightly controlled events choreographed with uh, the head of South Korea. And a bunch of flags all over the place. You know, we take three questions from the South Korean press. Then we take three questions from the American press. Only about America, South Korea stuff. Don't ask about the Hunter laptop. And the, the, the reporters, the silly little reporters, the geeks, they cooperate. They totally cooperate. Hey, um, this is not really breaking news, but uh, James Otto, O-D-D-O, former Staten Island Borough president, is now the new buildings commissioner of New York City. Hmm. What do we think about that? Number one, that guy's a Republican, right? Hmm. Hmm. Republican from Staten Island. He's been working in the Adams administration for a while. Hmm. 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 He's been the chief of staff to some deputy mayor. Hmm. All right, so he's a Republican and in the Democrat administration. He must bring some sort of the Department of Buildings, right? Okay. Does he know anything about buildings? He must come from a construction background, right? Is he an architect or something like that? Let's see here. Because this is a big deal job. Uh, we just had that garage collapse. Buildings are com- complex, big business, big big tech, big design. It's... uh and maintaining these buildings and all that stuff and the inspections. And uh, let's see here. All right. He got the job. He was 14 years in the city council. I met him a couple of times. I like him. I'm just curious if he knows anything about what he's supposed to do. Otto referred. Oh, the stat. <clears throat> excuse me. The stat Island advance called him. He won't comment on anything. Uh, oh, here we go. Oh, I kind of had a hunch. Otto does not have experience with the ins and outs of construction code. The expertise is not required, however. In 2008, the city council repealed the requirement that the Department of Buildings commissioner needed to be a licensed architect or engineer. Hey, thanks a lot. What a great move that was. <laughs> you, just, you can just be a career politician and have this job, hmm? No, I don't think so. That's one of the reasons why people don't like politics, I guess, a little bit. But you know what? Eh, no, I don't like it. I don't like it. I guess James Otto was a great guy. Maybe he's going to, I don't know. I don't know. Do you like that? Do you like that? Now, I do like living in a democracy, and our democratically elected leaders are allowed to uh, appoint people to some of these posts. But, you know, Eric Adams was not democratically elected. No, he was not. All right? He was definitely not. Nope, it was not a democratic election. Okay? It was a scheme, a perpetual scheme to keep Democrats in charge in New York. They pretend it's a democracy. They pretend your vote matters, but they have bent over backwards to minimize uh, your vote and even your opportunity to vote. And you can look it up. June of 2021, the last day of school, is the day they have the New York City primary. How about that? Well, it's up to the New Yorkers. Nobody is thinking about politics on the last day of school. You know, life is tough enough. We've got real freaking challenges. And we're not going to really be consumed with uh, Eric Adams had an event at the Brooklyn Borough Hall and uh, made an announcement about some initiative that he made. Right. People are. And those it's not substantive. The coverage of these campaigns is not at all substantive. It's jokey. It's very jokey. It's about who's up, who's down, who endorsed who. You can look it up. Uh, Andrew Yang. You know what they did? They made fun of him for riding a bike. They made fun of him for taking the A train when he should have taken the E train, which, oh, by the way, 
was kind of funny. Um, but it's not about substance. It's not about ideas. And we can thank the media for that. That's something else that Donald Trump blew the lid off of. Wait a second. Wait a second. This guy's talking about what he wants to do as president. This guy's talking about he's making detailed policy proposals as a candidate. Is there one person in the audience out there who saw a 30-second campaign commercial for Donald Trump and said, hmm, this guy seems interesting? No. We watched the rallies. We watched the rallies in 2015 and 2016. That's what made him a political superstar. We were talked to by in a way that we had never been talked to before in a substantive, serious manner. Yes, I know some of it was fun. Yes, I know some of it was, you know, non-standard and entertaining, and that's good, and that's fine. Anyway, uh, I got one other thing to say, and I don't, it's a municipal matter. But from what I'm hearing, the chief of the department, the chief of the police department is a guy named Madre, Chief Madre. And I think he's getting a bum deal from the city, uh, from the CCRB, from uh, the whole system. He is the number one uniform cop in New York City. And apparently there was a bad arrest. There was a bad arrest, and he had knowledge of this bad arrest. And I think you're allowed to go and undo a bad arrest. And a bunch of kids were hassling this guy, and uh, he took out a gun. He took out a gun, and apparently they arrested him for that. From what I'm hearing, it was a bad arrest, and Chief Madre had every right to spring this guy loose. But uh, they're trying to make a they're trying to make a big deal out of it. Uh, let's see what happens in the meantime. All right, back to my interview with Ron DeSantis. Anybody? Do you want? Uh, not Ron DeSantis. <laughs> the nemesis of Ron DeSantis, Donald Trump. Uh, cut forty-two, please. Cut forty-two. Ron DeSantis, do you think he could be a good president someday? In like eight years, sixteen years? I mean, you endorsed him once. He's got some talent. You're kind of crushing him right now. Someday, could he be president? Well, I endorsed him once, and he was losing badly. And because of the endorsement, he won in a landslide the following, literally the following day. Uh, look, right now, I'm very down on him. Uh, I'm a believer in loyalty, and I'm a believer in other things. I'm very disappointed in him because I'm a, a loyal person, maybe to a fault. A lot of people said loyalty doesn't mean anything. To me, loyalty means a lot. Yeah, good for him. Uh, good for him. And... Uh... Wow, he lets DeSantis have it uh, in this commercial. Uh, let's go ahead. Cut one, please. Cut one. No, no. Cut 43, the new ad about Ron DeSantis. It's devastating. Ron DeSantis was struggling big time in his primary race for governor of Florida. Polls revealed DeSantis was failing so bad, he was losing by a staggering 17 points. Then DeSantis was saved by the endorsement of President Trump. Trump's support was so powerful. Just two days after the endorsement, DeSantis took a commanding lead and it propelled him to being elected governor. I'd like to thank our president for standing by me when it wasn't necessarily the smart thing to do. You're welcome, Ron. You're welcome, Ron. Uh, That's pretty good stuff. And it gets even worse for DeSantis. I know a lot of people don't like this. They think they should be, you know, friends and everything like that. But it's politics, man. These things happen in a competitive primary season. Things are going to be said, and that's okay. We can take it, all right? Uh, Cut 44. 
Unfortunately, instead of being grateful, DeSantis is now attacking the very man who saved his career. Isn't it time DeSantis remembers how he got to where he is? Make America great again. Big league. So good. Build the wall. Then Mr. Trump said, you're fired. I love that part. Truth is, there's only one person who can make America great again. And they show Donald Trump at the end there. Did you hear that was actually Ron DeSantis reading little reading like Trump campaign literature to his kids who were like four. Don't know what the hell's going on. I remember seeing those back in 2018 and I thought they were weird. I also thought DeSantis, quite frankly, was pretty weird during the debate with Andrew Gillum. He should have creamed that guy. And instead, he was beaten by Andrew Gillum in a debate. Uh, He's not ready, folks. He's just not ready. I said it a year ago. Sorry, it's not going to happen for Ron DeSantis. It's uh, at least not this time. And if he goes much further with this, he's really going to damage himself long term. Uh, all right. So Joe Biden is running for president. We already saw the the terrifyingly dep- the, the ultra depressing campaign announcement yesterday. Cut 21. It really sounds like uh, that show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland, right? It, sound, it just sounds it just sounds it just sounds creepy. One more time there, if you don't mind. Yee, that's not morning in America. That's not fun. That's not. And then and then I think he, he manages a word. Cut 22. Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term. Yeah, just words, just pleasant-sounding words. Pleasant-sounding words. Does this sound like a guy committed to freedom? Cut 23. We'll double the fines on travelers that refuse to mask. If you break the rules, be prepared to pay. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. And for those brave right-wing Americans who say it's all about keeping America, keeping America's independent and safe, if you want to fight against the country, you need an F-15. You need something a little more than a gun. Yeah, what is he? What is he egging on? He wants a civil war? Telling people who believe in the Second Amendment that watch out, we're going to dispatch Air Force F-15s on your ass. It's a very strange thing to say. Of course, it's Joe, and he is somehow Democrat immunity. He can say all this outlandish stuff, and uh, and they portrayed Trump as the monster. Very unfair. Let's see here. Uh, there was also, I mean, I don't notice these things, but I know that Joe has a big problem when it comes to when it comes to race. You know that, right? You know Joe's a total and complete racist. He's absolutely, he has been all of his life, throughout his career. It's always happening. He's a bigot. He's a mean, bad bigot. And here's an example, not from 1973. It's from 2020 as a full-grown candidate for president in 2020. Let's see here. Talking to Charlemagne, the great DJ, cut 31. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. Just the essence of racism, for God's sake, right? You look a certain way, then you must vote a certain way. Are you insane? No, you're just a racist. You're just a horrible racist. So to compensate for that, his little uh, debut, uh, whatever the hell that thing was, uh, all throughout, it had 
very proud, good-looking, strong black people, right? Everywhere, just just strung together, image after image, very beautiful, very – now, again, I generally don't notice this, but I know what a racist Joe is, and you just heard what he said, and people do – you know, the media may not remember that. People remember that, all right? Insiders remember that, so they have to make really – they got to make, okay, look, Joe is really comfortable with black people, so they had it was like mostly black people, and then they had a couple of white people who looked. <laughs> it was kind of funny. They were like in the background, and when they did show them, they looked like frail and weak, just like you know everybody's going to be frail and weak someday. But he like went out of his way to find frail and weak white people to be in his campaign commercial. Uh, anybody else notice that? I, 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 it's, it's, it's true. It is true. All right. Is there anything else I want to do with that? No, no, I'm done. Oh, I will do this, though. Kimmel went after him. Uh, now, I don't like him, Jimmy Kimmel. I liked him a long time ago on The Man Show. But he does come up with some funny stuff. And he had a very funny version of Joe's campaign announcement. It's good. And it's interesting that he's going there. I don't like ageist jokes, by the way. I don't. We should revere those who are older than we are and show them respect. And this is a country, I, I, I've i always hated that, actually. In commercials, they're always making fun of older people, right? Highlighting, you know, for the arthritis and the, the silly, what do they call it, the depends, you know, depends. And they make jokes about that stuff. And I don't like it. We should be more like Japan, where they really honor the older population. Hey, oh, by the way, Donald Trump in his Letters to Trump book, you know who gets the most mention, the most coverage? Who gets four pages? You'll never guess. It's about people he knew in life and in politics, right? Who gets the most attention? Anybody? Anybody? I'm just talking to myself here. <laughs> so I'll, I will tell you right now. Shinzo Abe, the late great prime minister of Japan. How about that? Isn't that interesting? Shinzo Abe, they were very, very close. They had a... A genuine affection. And Shinzo, by the way, about a year or so ago, was killed by an assassin. And uh, the letter that Trump sent in the wake of that, well, Melania sent. Uh, Melania would always sign that letter as well. Melania, actually, there were more than one. And there were other letters before he died. And Melania, whose signature is just like Trump's, by the way. All right, that Jimmy Kimmel stuff when I come back and more. I'll be right back. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, I'm going to have to put off that Kimmel thing until the next uh, section because uh, time issues, time issues. But remember this, Kimmel going negative on Biden or even making fun of him to this degree tells me that Biden sooner or later is going to be quo mode. They're going to take him out. They're going to take him out. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, John is in New Jersey. Yes. Hello, Greg. Thanks for taking my call. Listen, you hit on something before. You said Tucker was the only one that was given the tapes for um, the uh, the um, the D.C. problem. And I'm saying, could it be possible that they set him up since he was the only one that got them? Uh, set him up? No, I don't think they're that clever. I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I'm just annoyed that we didn't get the, all the tapes. But he was fired, I do believe, because he aired those tapes. But it wasn't a setup. I don't think McCarthy, if you're getting at that, was setting him up. No. Um, but look at how angry they were. They were just so furious. I mean, uh, that that weirdo Chuck Schumer saying it's unforgivable, unforgivable. Crazy. 
Uh, no, I don't think it was a setup, though, John. Thank you. Uh, let's try David in Westchester. Yes. Hey, I saw Doug Sattel, S-I-T-T-E-L. Stop, you weirdo. Don't do that anymore. I don't like it. Uh, Patrick in Indiana. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about the only way to... Um, oh, boy. ...to um, hold Joe Biden accountable is to impeach him under Article 3, Section 1, Clause 2, which says um, aiding and com- giving aid and comfort to the enemy is reason for impeachment. And it's, it surpasses the Article 1, Section 3, where it says that the Congress or the Senate must decide. All right. Um, hey, listen, uh, I, look, I personally think he's impeachable myself, although it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're not going to ever convict him in the Senate. Should we do it just for just for kicks, just for laughs? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I do think it's impeachable. Yeah, I do. And actually, for me, it's the border stuff because it's in the Constitution. He's supposed to protect the border. P- uh, Patrick, thank you. Let's do uh, the last two guys. Uh, Jerry in New Jersey. Yeah. Jerry. Yeah, it's Jerry here. How are you? All right. Go quick. There's the music. Uh-oh. Jerry? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Listen, uh, they're playing the music. That means i got to go a commercial break. I know you've been on hold for two hours. So, uh, well, anyway. Uh, all right. Don't go. I'll take your call shortly. All right? And uh, that Kimmel stuff is coming up, too. It's good. I'll be right back. Entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, not so prominent nutbag uh, E. Jean Carroll is. Oh, gee, they're actually. This thing is seeing the light of day in a courtroom. A lawsuit against Trump filing civil damages. She claims pursuing civil damages. She claims that she was raped by Donald Trump. It is such a joke case. Rape is very serious. She thinks it's actually romantic. She said that, E. Jean Carroll. Um, but her entire story, none of it makes sense. It's totally not provable, oh, by the way. And imagine that. You know, somebody can just come forward and say, well, this happened to me in 1982. I'm going to take you to court now. You know, this is the Christine Blasey Ford country that we live in, right? Christine Blasey Ford says, oh, something happened to me. And so everything stops. You know how easily... Lives and careers can be ruined. Now, Donald Trump, by the way, he's given some people, and it's not his fault, but a kind of a false sense of confidence because, and he's actually talked about this. He has the resources to fend this stuff off. He does. They're being tried at times, but, you know, he has lawyers. He also, for most of his career, was his own boss. You know, he worked for his father, and he's the head of the company. Who's going to fire him? Uh, a lot of employers, you know, at the moment one of their employees gets in trouble, uh, uh, I think we're going to have to let you go, right? Happens. Um, and all it takes is an allegation. Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh, you know what? If he had gone down, oh, my God, that would have been so bad. It was really bad for his family as it is. Eugene Carroll, what is she? And he, he, all the, she's using all the language, all the language of the left. All the language of victimhood. I didn't know who to turn to. I was scared. I was ashamed. Shut the hell up. All right? If you're the victim of a crime, come forward and protect women and girls, whatever happened to that. 
It's only invoked certain occasions, certain occasions, usually when money is involved and people want to gain, gain from a phony tragedy. All right. All right. Enough of that. Uh, the E. Jean Carroll thing is totally ludicrous. Um, and, okay. Let's do the Kimmel thing. Okay. You heard the announcement. You heard uh, Biden's announcement. We played it on this show. Here's the Jimmy Kimmel version of it. All right. Go ahead. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America. What is the soul of America? Freedom, wisdom, kindness, empathy, style. I'm talking about panache, man. Whispering. I wrote the bill. Just because it sounds cool. $1.9 trillion. Shaking hands, kissing babies, and getting plenty of shut-eye. Buying war bonds just to keep the Kaiser on his toes. Delaware. Trains. Those old beer cans with the bull tabs. Whatever happened to those, man? Slipping a few candy buttons into your phosphate just to see how fast the sugar rush makes you pedal your bike with the big wheel on the front. And a healthy appreciation for the gams on Greta Garbo. I'll pledge allegiance to her any day. Which reminds me the most important thing of all. Naked with your best gal in the back of the drive-in picture show. Go for it, Jack. What the heck was I talking about? Oh, I'm Joe Biden, and that's why I'm running for re-election. But first, I'm going to watch the Wheel of Fortune. Give me a ball, Pat. And hello, Miss Vanna. It was funnier when you were looking at it. The imagery kind of matched, but... uh... And I don't like ageist jokes, all right? And a lot of that was ageist, but when it comes to Joe, he kind of deserves it. But uh, uh, the thing about it that's significant, Kimmel is going, that's pretty harsh. It's tough. That's his, one of his main weaknesses, and Kimmel is making fun of it. And Kimmel has become like the house jester, court jester, whatever you call those guys, of the Democrat Party. Court jester, right? He's the, he's the sanctioned comedian of the left. And he was even going off about health care and all this stuff and promoting Obamacare. Uh, I know his child had some health issues and nobody wants that. But uh, I think he got way too political, obviously, and a lot less funny. But that he has been given the green light tells me that Joe Biden just might be Cuomo'd. And what does Cuomo'd mean? That means they take you out. You think Cuomo was taken out because of COVID? Okay, I mean, he deserved to go over COVID, but then most Democrats, Fauci deserved to go to be fired over COVID. So they could never, they would never remove him for COVID. So what the hell, why did they get rid of him? You think it was about sexual harassment? No, of course not. Of course not. First of all, those chicks up there in the um, governor's mansion, whatever, uh, they wanted Andrew. They did. I can tell. <laughs> yes, I can tell. I use my own God-given common sense, and I figured it out. Look at the pictures. You can, too. All right? He wasn't forcing himself on anybody. These girls were all over him. And um, let me ask you something. If you should say to a doctor, a physician who happens to be female, you make that gown look good, you think you should be fired from your job? A little comment like that? You think you should be uh, t- thrown out of office? Of course not. So what the hell was really going on? Well, here's what I, I've been told, actually. Um, there are a couple of things. It's a, it's nuanced and it's kind of contradictory at the same time. But Joe Biden wanted them gone because he was deeply offended 
by Cuomo making a run for it behind the scenes for the 2020 nomination. You remember that? Cuomo was riding high. Everybody was into those press conferences and the and that short sleeve shirt. And remember his whole his tagline? I got to go get back. All right. I got to go back to work at the end of it. I got to go back to work. Hey, there are things I really like about Andrew Cuomo, by the way. Uh, there are a lot of things I detest about Andrew Cuomo. Um, and what I have been consistent on this, he is no sexual predator. He's no sexual harasser, especially that Lindsay. What's her name? Lindsay Boylan. Oh boy, what a what a fruit basket that one turned out to be, huh? Uh, there, uh, this happens. This happens. It's happening right now. I don't want to name names because uh, I know some of the people involved, and I just I think it's very regrettable. But the CNBC guy who went down. <laughs> All right. So where was I? Oh yeah. So uh, Biden did not like Cuomo going for the nomination. He wanted them gone. But the people running the country, and that's not Joe Biden, they wanted to show and tell Joe Biden a message. Okay? If we can take Andrew Cuomo out for sexual harassment, we can remove him from office in a matter of 10 days. What do you think we can do to you, Joe? I mean, everybody has seen you smelling, kissing, groping, everybody. Women, little girls, old ladies, you name it. Joe has slobbered all over them. I mean, there's a there there, as they say, right? Oh, and there's an actual accuser of sexual assault. Her name is uh, Tara Reed. Why doesn't anybody talk about Tara Reed? Her allegations are far more credible than E. Jean Carroll. E. Jean Carroll. One thing about E. Jean Carroll. She doesn't know what year the assault took place. She believes it took place, the alleged assault, in late 95 or early 96. But there's a picture of all of them together in 1987. She was married to John Johnson. Remember that guy from the news? John Johnson, a talented broadcaster. And uh, apparently, uh, well, that was not, that did not end well for John Johnson. It's an ugly divorce. Anyway, um, her case, none of it, and th- that they're putting him through all this nonsense. But look, he's surviving and thriving. And that is inspiring, even if you don't have the resources, right? We know, we know, we know. Okay, what do we do now? Do we want to do anything else with that? No, I think that's good. Um, oh, yeah, we can take you out. We can take you out, Joe. So don't push your luck. I asked President Trump about that. I said, who's running the country? He says, it's not Joe Biden. It's a small group of very important and very discreet people. And um, it's true. Did I have that? All right. Let me try Jerry in New Jersey. Wait, you were talking about the what were you talking about again? Lee Harvey Oswald. What about him? Well, you mentioned that Lee Harvey Oswald was a sharpshooter. One of the five stipulations for his early release from the Marine Corps was the fact that he couldn't qualify with an M1 rifle. So sharpshooter is definitely off the off the table. Uh, actually, I said he was a marksman, which is one below sharpshooter. And he was a marksman. Why? What? He couldn't qualify. He did qualify. No, 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 no. You're wrong. He did qualify with the weapon. He qualified actually twice. He qualified, kind of think of it, he qualified... As both a marksman and a sharpshooter, I think his first time out was a marksman. His second time out was a sharpshooter. 
He was an adequate shot. And oh, by the way, it doesn't matter. He got out of the Marine Corps. I think it was like three years later is when he killed Kennedy. So uh, you can become a, he was an average shooter in the Marine Corps. I'll grant you that. But a, compared to the guy in the street, he was a much better shooter. Jerry, I think you're wrong about that. About And oh, by the way, there are folks who qualify on the weapon. You qualify on the weapon. He had to qualify at least some point. You cannot not shoot and become a Marine. You have to qualify. So let's say he became a marksman and then he went unqualified, right? That doesn't, believe it or not, that doesn't mean he's a total incompetent when it comes to weapons. It does not mean that. It means it might have been windy that day. You go out to be retrained. Anyway, Jerry, I think you're uh, think you're wrong on that. Anything else? Well, no, it was just that I'm a veteran and I have, I was a veteran of the Army and I was I was a sharpshooter, so I know what it took to do that. Well, let me tell you this. Hold on a second. I think, you know, the Army does it differently than the Marine Corps. I don't know if you know that, but there are three levels to be qualified with an M16 rifle for officers and enlisted. And the first one is marksman. It's like three categories. If you do if you pass, you get you get marksman. If you above average pass, you get sharpshooter. If you if you really ace it, you get expert. I don't think that's the way that you guys did it in the in the army, right? You did it differently. No, I don't. I I would imagine probably you, you don't no, remember. I, it's okay. You don't remember. It's a long time ago, but it's different. It's different. Um, how'd you like being in the army? By the way, that Carcano bolt action that he used, supposedly killing Kennedy with three shots, was the worst military weapon ever devised. All right, relax with this stuff. You know, you guys go down these assassination rabbit holes. I've heard all this stuff before. You're wrong about the Mandelker Carcano. It was a totally adequate rifle. It was his. He got it for cheap. And uh, you can, it doesn't, you don't need to be James Bond. I mean, you can be, you can be a real goofball with a gun in the right place. You can change history. I don't like it, but it happened. I do think there may have been other Things at play, but uh, no, I disagree with you again. Sorry, Jerry, but thank you for, I don't even want to say that. I hate it when people say thank you for your service, to be honest. I know that's contradictory. Hey, Jerry, can I just ask you this? What did you do after the service? When I, when I, re, I was at, I was at, <coughs> excuse me, I was a supply site. I served two years in the Army occupation in Germany. When I got released, I came home, I got a job at New York Tell at the time. And I was working in Brooklyn, and there was a sporting goods store on Flatbush Avenue. You know, I, was, I was in a group of guys that were hunters. And if you went in there and bought $25 worth of his merchandise, for $5 more, he'd give you a Cartano. That's how much it was thought about. It was a piece of junk. Yeah, I I, know well, you know, you know, uh, you know how he got it? He got it in the mail order. He got it in the mail order. But he put a telescopic sight on top of it. He put a telescopic sight on top of it. Look, uh, you know guns, and sometimes when you when you talk to people who know guns, I know guns, you know guns, everybody tries to outgun each other, okay? Everybody thinks they know more than the other guy when it comes to guns. Uh, and I'm going to put myself in that category uh, with you, Jerry. But, Jerry, you can put yourself in the category, too. You think you know more about uh, guns than I do. Last thing, what was the name of that uh, uh, sporting goods shop? 
Oh, it began with an F. It was a Jewish name. I, 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 I really can't remember it at this point. You know what I, I miss? You know what I miss, man? You know, where the hell are the sporting goods stores? We don't have Models anymore. Who remembers Herman's at Roosevelt Field? Um, where do you go to get stuff? Where the hell is Dick's? Dick's Sporting Goods. I think they still exist in theory, but I haven't seen them around. All right, Jerry, thank you very much. Uh, Mike is in Wayne. Oh, yeah. Well, hold on a second, Mike. Hold on. Barbara. Barbara, you're back. Hello, Barbara. Hi. Hi, Greg. Good afternoon. Hey, I was so glad to hear you play the uh, interview you did with Tucker because I've heard you praise him many times on your show. And that's such a sign of good men coming together to associate in order to offset the evil men who have come together. And so we must all come together, your listeners, your your television viewers. We know that we all have to come together and lift each other up. And that's so important. And and also, I looked again at your interview with, with Donald Trump, and I have to say, what a statesman he is and, and what a businessman. And when you asked him about DeSantis, true, he was not happy with DeSantis, but he wasn't vile. He wasn't cruel. He was very statesmanlike in stating what he had to say. And I believe that came from his heart about the loyalty, about believing in loyalty. And I think that's why, as you said, the rallies with Trump were so great, because he could get out there and he could associate with us, with us Americans right there in front of him. Not only the rallies that he was at, but the rallies he never saw, the car rallies, the boat rallies. On Long Island, a group got together just just by word of mouth. Come, we're going to meet at the Sears Mall, and we're going to drive cars all the way out to Riverhead. Hmm. Do you know that day there were 2,000 people who showed up with their cars? So maybe there were 4,000 people, but there were 2,000 cars. We know that because the police who were helping us gave us a count of the cars that pulled out of the shopping center that day. People wanting to come out and show their support for this president and for America and for America first. Oh, so beautiful. You're right about those. I forgot about the rallies that he did not see. And yes, statesman, statesman, as he might say, uh, Abraham Lincoln, even with the top hat, I can be that presidential. And he really is presidential. He's presidential. And that's what the left does not understand. They just Gosh, they could never, they could never put their, you know, when you hate somebody so much, it really clouds your judgment. That's what's happened to them. All right. Barbara, once again, thank you for your, uh, your kind words and your wisdom. And I'll be right back. Julie, don't go away. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, Randy Weingarten, you know, the teachers uh, union person, you know, she basically, made it happen so teachers were going to get a year at actually two years off that's what she wanted maximum pay for minimal work that's what unions are all about most of them especially 32 bjs everybody knows that about 32 bjs maximum pay minimum work maximum time off all that stuff uh, all right. I do have to get ready for the 10 o'clock show over on Newsmax I do have to get to very quickly if you don't mind uh, where the hell was I? Uh, Julie in Staten Island. I. Yes. Hi, Greg. Listen, Greg, I don't know if you were aware of it, but I know you were very busy this weekend. You're more important things to do, but I was channel surfing 
I came across Charles Stanley. They had uh, a tribute, and they did his whole life story from the time he was a little kid, how his mom prayed to him, and he started very, very young, being very, very uh, devoted to God. It, it was amazing. Uh, and they go through how he started his first ministry as a pastor, and each time, you know, another church would call him. Well, anyway, I'll make it short. Uh, this Saturday, they're going to have part two. It's in two parts. I don't know if you're aware of it. I'm thinking maybe you want to check it out. It was an art station, a uh, local station, uh, nine. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Channel 10 at 10 o'clock. All right, I will Turn find it. I will there. find it, yeah. uh, part one and part two. I, I would be interested in seeing that because there's a, there's, there's a lot I don't know about Charles Stanley. I would love to... I'd love to see that. Thank you, Julie, very, very much. And uh, Susan, I'm sorry, I got to go to Becky in Oregon. Wow, where in Oregon? Oregon. Hi, Greg. You know, I never answered your question. You asked me a couple times where in Oregon. I, I just say middle. It's it's called Boardman. The town is Boardman, Oregon. It's a real little town. And um, but the reason I called. Oh, Did you ever send me a letter? Did you ever send me a letter? No. Okay, that was somebody else in Oregon. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that was a great story, what your last caller said about uh, Dr. Stanley. I would love to see that, too. And I did order his Bible that you recommended, and I used to watch him a long time ago. But you had mentioned in passing that you wanted to learn how to play the piano, and I just wanted to tell you, Greg, it is so easy. Your problem would be that you wouldn't have the time. But if you, all you have to do is learn how to read music. It's super easy. There's only seven notes. And then, you know, the octaves repeat. Wait, 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 wait. All you got to do is read music. Now, I actually do read music. I actually learned the saxophone, so I know something about music. But aren't aren't there, I mean, wait a second. You're right. I don't have time. 18 minutes a day. Could I do anything on the piano if I had 18? First of all, I don't have a piano, number one. But if I did, could I do something with 18 minutes a day? You and Annalise have to figure something out together. You guys can learn together. Okay, actually. The wife, the missus, has been talking about getting a piano. Um, Not exactly sure where that's going to work in our New York apartment, but who knows. All right, Susan, I'm sorry. All the rest, I'll see you tonight, 10 o'clock on the Newsmax show. Bye-bye.